Tonight we are setting out from Sinai. We've been at Sinai for two years, as it were. Since January 2021, we've been studying the Old Covenant systematically. Basically looking at the revelation that God gave at Sinai. So the people of Israel left Egypt, came to Sinai, and at Sinai, God gave them a ton of revelation. He, he gave them the Old Covenant, all of the laws attached to that, all of the regulations concerning that. And we've been studying that for about two years, Sunday by Sunday. The people of Israel themselves were at Sinai over a year. Because we read here in Numbers 10 and verse 11, In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. Where we are right now is, is the, the very next section chronologically once the people leave Sinai. So obviously, <coughs> the chapters of the Bible, if you read from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, they're not all in chronological order. So sometimes things, things that you read about first might have actually happened in time after something you read about later and vice versa. Here's where we are right now. Chronologically, this is the very first passage describing what happens when the people of Israel leave Sinai. And I want to point out to you three things tonight from this passage. First is the standard order of the march. There were six stages. Twelve tribes of Israel, of course, right? Three tribes go out first. Judah leading the way, along with Issachar and Zebulun. That's the first group. Next, some of the Levites go. Not the whole tribe of Levi, but some of the Levites. The Gershonites and the Merarites, who were families within Levi, go next, behind Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun are in verses 14 to 16. Next, the Gershonites and Merarites, who were families within Levi, go in verse 17, carrying the tabernacle. Then Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. That's in verses 18 to 20. Then more Levites. This time it's the Kohathites carrying the holy things, including the Ark of the Covenant. This is in verse 21. Then Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, verses 22 to 24. And last, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali following in verses 25 and, and following. So six stages. Three tribes, then the tabernacle. Three more tribes, then the tabernacle furnishings. So the bronze altar, the altar of incense, the bronze basin, the Ark of the Covenant, and so forth. This was so that, as it says in verse 21, by the time the Kohathites arrived, at wherever they were camping next, the Gershonites and Merarites had already set up the tabernacle. Alright? So three tribes, then the tabernacle, then three tribes, then the tabernacle furniture, and then six tribes. Alright? Now, some people think based on verse 33, which tells us that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. Some people think, based on this, that the Ark of the Covenant did not move with the rest of the tabernacle furniture, 
but actually moved separately at the front of the whole congregation. But that is not correct based on Psalm 80 verses 1 and 2. What we read in Psalm 80 verses 1 and 2 is this. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come and save us. What this tells us is that the shepherd of Israel, he who is enthroned above the cherubim, went before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Now this is relevant to the standard order of the march. Three tribes, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, then the tabernacle, then Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, then more Levites carrying the furnishings of the tabernacle, then Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. So what Psalm 80 tells us is that the standard order of things was that the Ark of the Covenant would travel along with the rest of the tabernacle furnishings. Remember on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubim spreading their wings toward one another. So this picture is the Lord enthroned above the cherubim. Not speaking of his heavenly dwelling where the cherubim worship before him day after day, but his earthly dwelling above the, the mercy seat. Psalm 80 in verse 2 says that the Lord is among his people enthroned above the cherubim, going before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. So, again, the standard order of the march, three tribes led by Judah, John Gill sees significance there, by the way, in that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And so we march behind our great king, the ruler from Judah. That may be the case. I'll just leave that with you to meditate on. Judah along with Issachar and Zebulun. Then the tabernacle. Then Reuben, Reuben Simeon, and Gad. Then more Levites. This time it's the... the Kohathites carrying the holy things, including the Ark of the Covenant. All right? Then Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, and then last, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. So it was the exception rather than the rule for the Ark of the Covenant to go before the congregation as they set out from Sinai. We read a couple of times elsewhere in um, Old Testament history about the ark going before the people. As for example, when they finally came into the promised land, many years after what we're reading about today, the ark of the covenant went first into the Jordan River. And the flow of water stopped and there was space for the Israelites to cross. Or when they marched around Jericho, the ark of the covenant went first. So there are exceptions to this rule, but the general pattern that we see um, which, which is explicit for us in Psalm 80, verses 1 and 2, is that the Ark of the Covenant traveled in the fourth stage. Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, then the Tabernacle, then Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, then the Ark of the Covenant. Alright? This will become a little bit more relevant later. But this is the standard order of the march. God didn't say... 
Don't worry about the order. Just, just follow me. The Lord gave them an order. He gave them a structure. Now, the Old Covenant Israel is not the exact same thing as the church, which is too much to get into tonight. I preached on, on the relationship between Israel and the church before and other times. But I will say this. There is a relationship of typology between Old Covenant Israel and the church, which is comprised of people from Old Testament and New Testament times who are saved by grace through faith in the Messiah. Just as the Passover is not the exact same thing as the Lord's Supper, it does not follow that there is no relationship whatsoever so it is the case that just because Israel is not the exact same thing as the church, it does not follow that there is no relationship whatsoever. Tim Keller tells a story which helps illustrate something of the relationship between Israel and the church. Quote, As still a fairly new Christian, I found the Old Testament to be a confusing and off-putting part of the Bible. I will always remember... Alec Motier's answer to a question about the relationship of Old Testament Israel to the church. After saying something about the discontinuities, he asked us to imagine how the Israelites under Moses would have given their testimony to someone who asked for it. They would have said something like this. We were in a foreign land under bondage, in bondage under the sentence of death. But our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, came to us with the promises of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God, took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and He led us out. Now we are on our way to the promised land. We are not there yet, of course, but we have the law to guide us. And through blood sacrifice, we also have His presence in our midst. So He will stay with us till we get to our true country, our everlasting home. Then Dr. Motier concluded, Now think about it. A Christian could say the same thing, almost word for word. See, so there is this very obvious relationship between Israel and the church given to us in the Scripture. And we can learn much about what it means to be the people of God and to follow God on our way through a wilderness as we make our way to the promised land from these studies that we will now undertake during this phase of redemptive history, looking at how the people of Israel follow the Lord through the wilderness. And one thing we can learn from the prescribed order for Israel is the simple truth that God organizes His people. He has prescribed a certain way of doing things for His people. In modern parlance, under the New Covenant, we call this ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church. God has prescribed who may serve as officers, how they are to function within the church, what we're supposed to do when we gather together, what is included in legitimate elements of worship, what is the procedure for making decisions and dealing with sin in the church, and so forth. God has given us structure. But some people feel as though this is contrary to being led by God or being led by the Spirit. 
Why do you have to be such sticklers for structure and order and a particular way of doing things? They feel as though this is contrary to being led by God. But were the Israelites in the wilderness not led by God? Look at verses 11 and 12 of our chapter, Numbers 10. In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden the rainy season was over and a sunny day broke and they broke camp. It means the cloud of God's glorious presence, which symbolized God Himself among the people of Israel, moved, implying that they must now be led by God away from Sinai. Verse 12, And the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran, which meant that the children of Israel wanted to be led by God. They must not progress past the wilderness of Paran, but they must settle where the cloud settled. They were led by the very presence of God. Look at verse 34. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. The people of Israel had God's presence in their very midst, symbolized by the cloud. They were led by God. And yet they had a very specific order in which they ought to march. They had marching orders from God. They had structure. They had order that they needed to follow. And this was not contrary to being led by God. And it's still not contrary to being led by God in our day and age. To be led by God includes and in no way conflicts with the order that God himself has given us. If we want to be led by God, we must move the way that he has told us to move, in the manner in which he has told us to move, according to the structure and the parameters with which he has told us to move. That's the first thing I want to point out. Now another thing we should see in this chapter is Moses' misguided appeal to hold that. Verses 29-31 Moses approaches Hobab who it seems was the brother-in-law of Moses. He was the son of Ruel the Midianite and Ruel seems to be another name for Jethro. So Hobab is Jethro's son or Ruel's son, Moses' brother-in-law. Where it says father-in-law there in verse 29, that's referring to rule, not to Hobab. So Hobab is Moses' brother-in-law. And this is, this is what Moses says to him. When he invites him to come along and, and Hobab says, no, I'm good, I'm going to go back home. Moses says, please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. Look, Moses has spent some time in the wilderness. Moses has spent some time not in Egypt. But Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace. And the Israelites all grew up in Egypt. Moses recognizes that Hobab has 
a lot of extra years on him in terms of wilderness experience. And Moses feels like the people of Israel need Hobab. What will happen if the people of Israel depart from Sinai to enter what is called later in Deuteronomy this great and terrifying wilderness and Hobab does not go with them? How will they fare if the presence of Hobab is not among them? Please go with us. Do not leave us. Do not let me go up from here. Do not let us go up from here unless your presence go with us. Hobab. Does that sound familiar? Elsewhere, the Lord, elsewhere, Moses pleads with the Lord this way. Do not send us up from here, O Lord, unless your presence goes with us. We need you, Lord. Later on, Moses was quite clear about that. But here in Numbers 10, as they embark on this journey into the great and terrifying wilderness, Moses thinks they need the presence of Hobab. This experienced wilderness guy. Well, God ever so clearly and yet subtly rebukes, contradicts, and confronts Moses' misguided appeal to Hobab in verse 33. Who goes before the people of Israel to be their eyes? And to know where they should camp and the ark of the covenant of the lord went before them three days journey to seek out a resting place for them you see the normal place for the ark was in the fourth stage of travel the three tribes and then the tabernacle then three more tribes and then the ark but Moses appeals to Hobab, go with us, be our eyes, show us where we need to camp. And the Lord's like, let me take the lead on this one. Put that Ark of the Covenant out front. And I, who am enthroned above the cherubim, I will go before you. And I will be your eyes. And I will seek out a resting place for you. Hobab is not necessary. You don't need Hobah. You need Yahweh. But that being said, though Hobab is not necessary, Hobab is welcome. Look at, again, at Moses' appeal to Hobab. We are going to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. This is what is happening to Israel at this juncture. God is bringing them up from Sinai to bring them into a place that he has promised them. God brought them up out of Egypt, not just to wander around in the wilderness perpetually, but to plant them in the promised land. He brought them up, he brought them out in order to bring them in. And now they are on their way to the place where God has promised them. 
Come with us, O God, Moses says, and we will do good to you. For the Lord has promised to do good to Israel. The Lord has promised good to us. His word our hope secures. And Hobab, if you come with us, the Lord will do us good. And you can share in the good that the Lord does to us. Throw in your law among us, Hobab, and the Lord will do good to you as he will do good to this multitude. Hobab's not convinced yet. He says, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. But Moses, again, there's this misguided appeal here to be their eyes and be their guide. Guide, guide us, O thou great Hobab, pilgrims through this barren land, right? This misguided appeal. But again, Moses reiterates, if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. There is this, there's this misguided aspect of Moses' appeal to Hobab, but there is this offer of throwing in his lot among the people of God and receiving together with the rest of the people of God the reward that God has promised them. That Hobab can have a slice of the pie, Hobab can have a share as he goes with the people of God. And verse 33 says, so they set out from the mouth of the Lord three days' journey. And the they in that passage is implicitly the people of Israel and Hobab. Hobab went with them, you realize. He wasn't necessary, but the Lord makes that clear by setting the Ark of the Covenant out in front of the people of Israel. My glory I will not share with Hobab. My glory I will not share with another. I will be the people's eyes. I will find them a resting place. I will be the one who guides them, pilgrims through this barren land. Hobab is not necessary, but you see the Lord permits Hobab to come with them. He says, you are not going to benefit me, but I am most willing to benefit you. Hobab, you can't come with these people as a benefactor, but Hobab, you're welcome to come along with these people as a beneficiary. Israel is going somewhere with God. Look at Moses' liturgy in verses 35 and 36. Whenever the ark set out, it doesn't say, and when the ark set out, as if that happened in this instance. Whenever, time and time again, when the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. What Moses is doing is rehearsing the promises of God that he will fight for the people of Israel, that all they need to do is trust in him and follow him and walk according to his covenant and he will be with them and he will fulfill all of the promises that he made to them and bring them into the promised land. All Moses is doing is praying back God's promises to him. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, implicitly whenever it rested, 
Moses said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. Again, I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and I will dwell with them. All Moses is doing is praying back God's precious promises for the people of Israel. Fight for us whenever we march. Be with us whenever we make care. As you have promised in this covenant that you have made with us, O God. The Israelites are on their way somewhere. And Moses knows it and Moses believes it. The Lord has promised good to Israel. The Lord has promised to fight for them. And the Lord has promised to make his camp with them. They are beneficiaries of God's benevolence. Partakers of God's covenant. And if Hobab will throw in his lot with them, Hobab may too be a beneficiary. And they come into covenant with the God of Israel. <clears throat> Each of us is invited to leave behind our land and our children as it were, and throw in our lot with the people of God as they make their way towards a better country, towards a heavenly city. As Motir said, to believe the promises of deliverance, to take shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and to be led out, to make our way to the promised land. We're not there yet, of course, as Motir said, but we have the law to guide us and we have his presence in our midst. And God will stay with us till we get to our true country, our heavenly home. To trust in the Lord Jesus. Recognize that by faith in Christ Jesus, we may be forgiven for our sins, rescued from God's wrath, and we may begin this pilgrimage into all that God has promised to us and for us. And we must be prepared to forsake everything. God may not literally cause us to leave our land and, and our kindred, but he did say whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And God may call you to pick up and move to another country. Whatever God asks of you, you must be ready to do. You must be prepared to follow God, no matter what the cost, and to throw in your lot with the people of God. Whatever that looks like for you in an earthly and temporal sense, and say, my lot is with these people. My lot is with this God. It's not about what you bring to the table. I told you before, I saw a tract once. I didn't even read the inside, but the cover it to say, God is looking for good men like you. As if like God is, needs you on his team or something. I didn't even bother to read the inside because the outside is such nonsense. Listen, God doesn't need you to be the eyes of his people as they make their way through the wilderness. God doesn't need you to find for them a resting place. 
our great Jehovah is well able to guide us pilgrims through this barren land. It's not about what you bring to the table. So don't, don't think that you're any whole bad in that sense. That you're a, a, real, a real asset to God's people. God wants people like you, needs people like you in the camp. No, no, no. Don't be a whole bad in that sense. But there's something so wonderful here about the fact that even though Hobab is not necessary, that he's invited. That even though he's not a benefactor, he's a beneficiary. And likewise, all of us are invited to trust in Christ Jesus, to throw in our lot with the people of God, not to be benefactors, but to be beneficiaries of our great God and of the promises that he has made to his people in the covenant of grace. And whatever God does to his people in the covenant of grace, he will do to us if we are numbered among them. I'm on my way to a promised land. So are many, or most of us in this room. If any here tonight or even watching online are not yet in the camp, so to speak. Hear this pleading of Moses. The Lord has promised to do good to us. Will you go with us? Whatever good the Lord does to us, He will do also to you. Throw in your lot with us. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to faith in Him and make your pilgrimage with us through this barren land as we make our way to the promised land, believing that we are going somewhere, we are going somewhere with God, and that God is going to be faithful to keep all of the promises that He has made to us. Will you be a whole bad who joins us along the way?